Let's pray once more. Our God and our Father, it is indeed you. It is you that we are here for. We're, we are here for ourselves at the same time because you are our joy. You are our life. You are our everything. So we're, we're here for ourselves, so we're here for you. We're here to get you, here to enjoy you. And we thank you. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us. You are not aloof. You are not afar. You do not hide yourself from us. You reveal yourself to us through your word. As your spirit speaks your word into our hearts, into our minds. So I pray now, will you please continue to speak your word into our minds and into our hearts. Um, I thank you for this church. I thank you that in many respects, as we look into your word and we talk about worship, in many respects, I am literally preaching to the choir. I am, I am preaching, I'm teaching something to people who have long, long longed for you to be properly worshipped here. Nothing new about that here. So I thank you. So I, my prayer this morning is that you would simply do yet still more. Will you give us yet still more clarity? Will you give us yet still more um, direction and purpose? And um, I, I really, we, we really pray, we, we really desire that our worship here would come into greater alignment with the worship of you that is already taking place in the heavenly places where we are already seated with you, Lord Jesus. Bring us into alignment with that pre-existing worship. Make us a people that, as with one voice, worship you, the God and Father of our Lord, you, Lord Jesus Christ. So carry us along now. We believe in you, Holy Spirit, so please work now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we look once more at Lord's Day worship. It is the Lord's Day, and we worship His Father because of a historical worship moment, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, therefore, the, the sweetness, as we saw last week, the sweetness of our worship is dependent upon our pre-existing unity around Jesus, not just on Sunday, but in the parking lot on Tuesday. Thus, the number one pronoun, as, as we've sang and I prayed, the number one pronoun of what we do here is you. The you being God and the other person here. Um, your brother or sister in Christ. And then last week we saw that when we gathered together with worship, as I just prayed, we are joining together with this pre-existing worship that's already happening in the heavenly places. We want to bring ourselves into alignment with that. And what we saw is, therefore, worship is warfare. Because when we join in with that heavenly worship, then things happen on earth. His kingdom is not of this world, and thus when we gather together, we, we, we obey Jesus' command to ask for his kingdom to come, because it is not here yet. We ask for it to come on earth as it is in heaven, and worship is the way that it comes. Worship is the way things change. So, 
In the Bible, we talked about last week, God tells us what he wants from worship. He's very specific in what he says. And yet at the same time, he leaves us room to use our own reasoning. He asks only that we consider his desires first. Then he will give us the desires of our heart. His desires first. Then he will give us the desires of our heart. So then what does God want? What does God desire from worship? Well, I I believe God wants our worship to be three things. Simple, spiritual, and intelligible. Simple, spiritual, and intelligible. Now, this outline is a bit of a cheat on my part, a bit of a cheat code, because these three words summarize about a thousand years of Christian thinking on the subject of worship, (laughs) especially the early church, the persecuted church, and the church that sprang up out of the Reformation in the 1500s. They all agree on these words, that our worship should be simple, it should be spiritual, and it should be intelligible. So I'm going to walk through each of these, consulting various scriptures as we go, and really, each scripture might be deserving of a conversation, depending on the questions that you have. So as we go along, if you write down a question, let's talk. Let's talk. Open ears. With me or another elder, let's talk. Well, the simplicity of Christian worship was first defined by the fact that the first Christians, they just simply wanted to be together. They just, they just wanted to be together. No one told them to. They just did it. They just did it. Um, they were united in all things, Acts 2.44. Thus, Christian worship has, from the very beginning, been congregational. We are together. We are the body of Christ, many united together into one. Thus, the focus being mostly on the band up front is largely a relatively new phenomenon, and I think a distinctly American one. There's nothing wrong with the band being up front. I'm talking about the focus, the focus being on the band up front, because we are an us in worship. As we saw last week in Romans 15, we are an us. God desires that we worship him as with one voice. Now, if we are to be together, um, this means two things. Number one, this means that, you know, being here, (laughs) that's how you are together with other people, that you are in the same place as them. (laughs) It's like, Jed, we're paying you for this truth? Yes, that's true. Um, COVID COVID left a lot of people at home. Um, Don't stay home. Be here. That's how you are together with other people, by being together with them. And that uh, is not mediated by technology. Um, be together. Secondly, what this means is being together in worship. In worship. Um, it means that both genders must be able to sing the music. Uh, one of the reasons men feel uncomfortable in church is that since the latter part of the 1800s, Christian music in the West has trended towards the feminine. Now, there's nothing wrong with feminine music. That's, I'm not criticizing that at all. Um, it's just that it silently excludes half the church. Um, and then we wonder why men feel so out of place. Like, where do I stand? Where, where, where do I belong? I feel like I'm in a tea parlor. You know, not, I, I'm not saying that about our place, but I mean, a, a lot of churches, that's how men feel. Um, but, but flip this to the positive, flip this to the positive, there are few things in God's creation 
that are more soul-stirring than to hear the deeper voices of men extolling the virtues of God with the women. With the women. Um, so, I'll put this another way. Um, the, the, the principle here is that th there are many good kinds of music. Many good kinds of music. For instance, uh, I appreciate rap. I know. I, I'm like, I wear Land's End, and I'm, you know, that's how I roll, you know. Um, but um, I'm street like that. But I, uh, the rap has a, a tremendously unique power to marry together truth and emo the, the emotional power that should go with that truth, like no other genre. I love it. I love it. Um, the question is, where is its place? Where is its place? You know, to put it another way, like, is it appropriate to play a plucky banjo number at a funeral? <laughs> no. Is it okay to play plucky, plucky banjo music? Of course. <laughs> I actually like that too. <laughs> I'm eclectic that way. But so, so is it appropriate, my point here is, is it appropriate to play music in church that excludes a gender? No. <laughs> no, no. That's my point. So there's nothing wrong with any of these. Nothing wrong with feminine or masculine. But we are an us. Simple means together. Simple means together. Um, but then our worship should be simple. Simple in that we don't have a lot of complex parts. A lot of moving parts. Again, the early church in Acts 2.42, beginning there, it seems that the, the early church just, they were very simple in how they did worship. They heard teaching based on the apostles' teaching, what we now call the New Testament. Um, there was fellowship, verses 44 and 45. They had all things in common. There was communion. There was praying. They, verse 46, they, they simply went together to Lord's Day worship together. Um, and then their worship would spill out into their homes. They broke bread together outside Lord's Day worship. There's, there's that total unity again. And then finally, in verse 47, the thing that we often put first is finally mentioned by Luke last. They praised God out loud with glad and generous hearts. With glad and generous hearts. Remember those two words. But we'll, we'll see more about the content of this praising in the second point. But the point here is just simply the, the simplicity of Christian worship from the very beginning. And the question we should ask is why? Why did this simplicity come so naturally to the early church, the persecuted church, and the age of the reformers? Why, why did there not need to be a council called? Why did this just happen this way? And the only explanation is the resurrection of Christ. That's the only explanation. When, when that power... The power over life and death, the power of resurrection is at the center of your worship. When that power, the power of that king is at the center of all of your worship, well then no, no complex superfluous adornment is necessary. I mean, wh what does a smoke machine add to the power that destroyed Hades and opened the way to eternal bliss? What does glitter falling from the ceiling add to the power of the Spirit coming down to dwell within us and unite us to that power? What does glory, what, what glory does it add if I dress in, a, you know, uh, $300 sneakers or, or with the finest adornment around me? 
What would that add to the beauties of this God who would save us by giving us his son and who has promised us with him to graciously give us all things, who is himself the embodiment of all good, all glory, all, all beauties? How do you add to that? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you extol it. You exult in it. You celebrate it. You rejoice in it. You smile at it. You smile at it. Jesus has come, crucified, risen, ascended, and reigning. What can a dancing bear act add to those glories? So we, only, we are only to stand, as we saw last week, in reverential awe of that, with glad and generous hearts of that. Because, as Jesus said on the cross, in the moment of moments of all human history, it is finished. It is finished. So we come in reverential awe of such love lavished upon us, freely given all by his grace. <sighs> we celebrate it. We celebrate it with the same joy that Jesus had as he gave himself for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and with joy we celebrate that. Now, we, we read all this, and we notice, again, how much is not said. Is not said. So, so like, for instance, like in our, in our situation here, how many people should come up and down from the stage? You know, like how many set changes do you really need in a service? Um, you know, like, for instance, you might ask, okay, well, we have yet another person. Samantha did a great job today. We have another person come up to read Scripture before the sermon. Wouldn't it be simpler if the preacher did that? Wouldn't that you, you said simple, Jed, right? Well, actually, it would. It would be simpler. Um, Michelle wouldn't have to schedule these people. But we're, we're using our reason as we hold to the Scriptures here. We hold fast to the Scriptures, with, which limit eldership to men, which assigns the role of eldership only in preaching and teaching to men. Thus, it is our way to honor the role of women in this church. Have you ever noticed it's almost always a woman who reads the Scripture? That's intentional. It's, it's our way of giving that, this, this role of reading the central passage in worship every week to a woman to honor the role of women in our worship. So there's, there's an example of reasoning, our own reasoning in play, even while we hold fast to the Scriptures. Um, okay, so that's the first um, aspect of Christian worship, that it should be simple. Secondly, it should be spiritual. It should be spiritual. We aim to be Simple in the way that our forefathers in the face were, were simple. We also want to be spiritual. As Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4.24, God desires that his people would worship him in spirit and in truth. And I, I take the phrase here, in spirit, to mean both in the spirit, which then yields a spiritual kind of worship, to be led by the spirit. So what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, we need to let the scriptures, not our particular church background, define for us what spiritual means. And we're instantly given a hint of this in John 4.24. The kind of spirituality that God wants is always paired with truth. Always paired with truth. Thus, we care very much about the actual words of our songs because they preach too. Um, at the same time, truth without spirit is wooden and dead. 
We're not just here for the bare acquisition of truth. We want truth set afire. Okay, so, so again, what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, we've already seen a hint of it back in Acts 2, in that the church was filled with gladness and gratitude. Gladness and gratitude. Gratitude not to the air, not to just make us feel therapeutically better, but to the Father who sent and crucified and raised Jesus the Lord. Gladness and gratitude to the Father are at the heart of true spirituality. Gladness and gratitude to the Father are at the heart of true spirituality. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12.3, he says, No one is able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe Paul's meaning here is that when that person says Jesus is Lord, they're rejoicing in it. They're glad about that truth. Because after all, the demons say Jesus is Lord, and they're not laughing about it. They're not smiling about that. So to put this in the negative, it is very non-spiritual to come to church and be bored. <laughs> or to, to come to church and lack gladness and gratitude. If that happens, it's not spiritual worship that's happening. If that happens, something's broken. Something's broken, either up front, either, you know, like up front, we're not saying something that's worth being, having gratitude about. Or, or, You've spent too much time doom-scrolling and Netflix binging during the week that your heart is too dull and too filled with the pride of life to even gin up any gratitude or gladness. Um, only humble people can be happy, can be glad, can smile, can laugh. Proud people can't do that. Um, even if the words up here are spot on. So this is, why, this is why we proclaim the gospel to ourselves every week, because that's where the gladness and the gratitude is found. We, we put God before our very eyes, and every week we seek to behold Him and, and light the fire of true spirituality again, that, our, that the truth of what He's done would be lit a fire for us again, and we'd be filled with gladness and gratitude to Him. So we, we see the role of gladness and grat gratitude come up again in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 14. Paul is saying here how we become light instead of darkness, and how we, he's already said in the first uh, three chapters how you become light in the gospel by faith in Christ. And so now he's talking about, okay, what, what does that look like in real life? And so here he quotes Isaiah. But it seems that this passage from Isaiah in verse 14 had become a hymn sung in the early church. That's why, at least in the ESV, the ESV makes it look like poetry in your, in your Bible. Um, he says there, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You can, you can feel the cadence there. And then he describes what it looks like for people in light to live like light. Verse 15, to walk carefully. Excuse me, verse 15, to walk carefully. Verse 16, to make the best use of the time. Verse 17, to not be foolish, but ask yourself, what does the Lord want of me with the hours ahead of me in my day? Therefore, verse 18, not being drunk and therefore controlled by alcohol, but being controlled, being filled by and controlled by the Spirit. Now, in verse 19, we come again to Paul's habit of explaining how we do a command by using an ing phrase, an ing phrase. If you're a grammar nerd, this is called an adverbial participle. <laughs> the the two of you in this room will appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you, 
you know you are filled with the Spirit, and you, and you know you're doing it right. You, here is what spirituality looks like. Again, the, the primary pronoun is you. You and you. You know you are living spiritually when you are filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Verse 19, when you are addressing, there's the, there's the ing phrase, when you are addressing other people, one another, in three ways, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When he says psalms, he means the 150 psalms of the Bible. When he says hymns, he means that singing that the church has historically done that just grew out of, okay, we're in us, we're together, what kind of singing would yield the ability to sing as an us? Oh, hymns. <laughs> hymns. That kind of singing that is especially suited for congregational singing and is filled with biblical truth. And then when he says spiritual songs, he means the songs that people write about Jesus that either show up on Caleb or show up on ancient papyruses or show up on caves where Christians hid or in a jail cell, on the wall of a jail cell. Um, so all three, all three are to verse 19 come, come from our heart and then verse 20 come out of a, of a, of a thankful, grateful heart. Verse 20, there again is the, the concept of gratitude. Gratitude to the Father because we stand righteous and secure before him in Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, so these, the, these songs are to come out of our mouth to one another, and that's a good sign that something spiritually is happening inside, in the heart. As Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So many people focus on whether verse 18 implies being a teetotaler or not, but, and, and, and we could talk about that, but a lot of people focus there and never ask themselves on the other side of it, never consider what comes out of their heart instead. Being a teetotaler doesn't make anyone spiritual if words of gladness and gratitude are not spilling out of your mouth like, like gossip or like you've had too much to eat. That's what Paul's talking about here. So I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this, that, that odd moment, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon when out of nowhere, for some no reason at all, the song that we were singing on Sunday comes to your head and you start humming it in the car. And then the kid next to you in the car starts humming the very same song. <laughs> There's the spiritual moment. That's a spiritual moment. You have, the, the Spirit of God has just dropped down into your car, and your car has now become sanctified. Your, your car has become holy. Your car has become a place of gladness and gratitude and praising God. <laughs> and that moment was given birth right here and our corporate worship together on Sunday. That's, that's what Paul's after here. Is, it, is Paul talking about Sunday, Lord's Day worship, or is he talking about uh, the rest of the week? And the answer is yes. Yes. We, that moment over there is given birth right here in what we do on Lord's Day worship. Um, so, uh, so, so why... The other question that I... I was thinking about is why these three categories of song? Why does Paul uh, prescribe these three categories? And I think, this is an I think, but I'd be, if you have a different thought later, hit me up. 
I think it's so that we can experience the full range and, and capture the full range of God's revelation and human experience in our worship together. Um, just like how pastors are commanded to preach the whole Bible and not just the parts that we like or would have fun preaching, you know, there's parts that I don't, you know, I, <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't be on my game plan. But God said, no, it is. It is on your game plan. <laughs> it is. Um, so in the same way, the church is to sing the whole counsel of God and the whole range of human experience, even the parts we may not like, like Psalm 137. Is that, is that up there? Did I get that, Mike? No? Oh, it is there. Sorry. That'd be an interesting song to sing. But, but this is a psalm that captures a certain kind of human experience. And uh, I, I remember our first uh, uh, pr pregnancy we, we lost and... Uh, it, it, I did a very dumb thing. I did. It was, guys, don't ever do this. For some reason, on that day, I said, "Let's let's go worship at a different church today where no one knows us, and we can just be sad." It's dumb, T totally dumb. Okay, so we go to this church. Happy, happy, joy, joy. You know, standard big big church show. You know, there were no smoke machines, but there could have been. Thousand, two thousand people. I don't know singing joy happy happy joy joy and here are me and my wife two people in the room just tears <laughs> the oddest thing bizarre i mean it's my it was my fault i was dumb but th th there's an example of where christian worship is to capture the full range of human experience because we must learn somewhere how to sing psalms in the cave not just when times are beautiful and there's bluebirds flying around, the sun is shining, but when we're in the cave, we must learn how to sing out to God in those times too. So we need the, the full counsel of God for that. And, and the Psalms capture the full range of human experience. David went through it all. <laughs> through it all. And the people of Israel went through it all. So... I, I think that's why. I think that's why. Um, we must learn how to sing psalms in the cave. Um, so regardless, so we have these three categories of, of, of song here. And so the question that we can conclude without a doubt, though, is that um, whether or not worship, Christian worship should be contemporary or traditional, those, those are just not the categories that Paul is dealing with here. Um, God says, be contemporary and go back. Be contemporary and, as the Spirit leads you, go back to the 1970s or the 1950s or the 1800s or the 1700s or the 1600s or the late 1500s. Sure, go back. And then he says, and keep going back. Go back even further to 900 B.C. <laughs> I want you to go all the way back. 
Um, go back, and, and then I, I'm so, so thankful. Then, then we must remind ourselves, okay, what kind of God is asking us to do that? Are we, are we being commanded to this by a God who's like standing there with his hand like this? And the first moment you get this wrong, no. No, this is a God who's very content to move with us at a human pace as we learn. I mean, it's no easy thing for a congregation, even of our size, to learn a Hebrew psalm, a Hebrew poem written 3,000 years ago and to sing it with modern English in a congregational format. That ain't easy. And God says, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with you at your pace on this. Just, just follow me and what I'm asking you to do. That's it. <laughs> um, he's content to move with us at a human pace. He is patient. He is patient and kind to his people. So our worship should be um, simple. It should be spiritual. It should be spiritual in the way that the Bible defines spiritual worship. And then it should be intelligible. It should be intelligible, meaning it should be based on the truth, and then the truth should be understandable. People should be able to comprehend it. Um, so this is perhaps the central theme of Paul's teaching about prophecy and tongues in church in 1 Corinthians 14. So without getting into the weeds of that debate, um, Paul's point is that no one should speak in tongues if there's not someone there to interpret the foreign language, thus to make it clear to an outsider, so that, 1 Corinthians 14, 7 through 9, so that the outsider can, can, can understand it and praise God for it, can say amen, can say thank you. Paul is most clearly interested, not in the awesomeness of the service, but in the clarity of the truth being proclaimed. That, and, and here again, here's the concept of you, you and you, that, and then you see gratitude again here, that, verse 16, others might say amen to the thanksgiving being spoken, and that others might, verse 25, praise God. So we labor in all that we do here to be intelligible. Why? So that the other guy might praise God. You and you. So this is my ongoing labor as the primary teacher here, to always be improving and being clear, and being clear in what I say, well, and, and to be true, but then to be clear in the truth. So please, I, I would ask, will you please pray for me? to continue to grow in being clear. Um, but the same is true for the words of our songs and the, the words that we pray with. Um, by the way, pr praise God for the, the elder uh, prayer this morning. Uh, so edified by that alone. But the, the point here, I think, is, is made clear by a letter by C.S. Lewis. He, a, a schoolgirl from the United States wrote to him, wrote this famous author, this schoolgirl, and she said, can you give me some tips on how to write? And he replied back with a, with a delightful letter. And one thing that he said was, don't say that something was astounding. Describe it for me to the point that I, the reader, say, wow, that was astounding. Um, in the same way, we sing the truth with clarity so that 
in the white space between the words, you, the whole congregation, can't help but just go, oh, praise God. Thank you, God. God, you're so good. God, you're so great. God, you're so perfect. Oh, or we just between the words go, I'm thankful that you're the God that's there. Bless you, Father. Amen. Or you simply smile, <laughs> taking pleasure in him. Um, so therefore, we want to um, not just make the words clear, but we want our music, the musicality to be clear in the sense that it emotionally fits the truth and that it lifts us to the heights that the truth is proclaiming. Again, we don't want to sing high and lofty, glorious truths and be bored with it. You know, God forbid. Thus, we want to, for that reason, we want to be good at our music. Now, um, the opposite is true too. We, we therefore, we, we cannot say to ourselves, well, since everything is spiritual, then it doesn't matter how our music sounds. You know, and, and also because we live in a musical culture. We, th think about all the places where you are surrounded by music. Your earphones, the car, the waiting when you're calling T-Mobile, uh, every single store you walk into. Um, by the way, thank you, Bel Air, for always having 80s music on. I'm really <laughs> thankful for that. Um, they know me. Um, so we, we live in a musical culture, and all of the music that we listen to, it is all uh, cleanly, clearly produced. It may not be worth listening to, but it is produced in a clear way. Um, so we, there's a very real sense, and we, we just have to account for that. Um, so, for, and, and so all of that then, the, the, the job of being good at music, then we must... And it takes work, it takes work, it takes work. So for that reason, I just want to stop for a second and I just want to take a moment and express how thankful I am for the work that our worship and tech teams have, have put in this year. You, you have persevered, yeah. You, you have persevered, you've taken on new responsibilities, new risks, and it's been emotional for you at times. Often you have wondered and worried, you know, is this going to come together on Sunday? And so often God has said, I see you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I got you. I got you. Watch me take your labors and make two plus two equal 178 on Sunday. God's doing that in you. It's awesome. <laughs> It's astounding. <laughs> um, so we are grateful for you, and we ask you, for him and for us, keep going in the Lord. Keep going. We're grateful. We're grateful. Um, this also means that, to bring forward our first two points, that our worship set on any given Sunday may need to be simple in order to be clear and intelligible and to be truly spiritual. It may need to be simple, especially if we're to try to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know? The worship team's like, okay, I really appreciate the encouragement, and now I'm back into panic attack mode. You know? <laughs> so um, th that means that we, we, we need to be content with simple, 
But I, I want to... Simple is okay because a lot of wonderful worship can happen with a simple set. Um, as long as it is authentically spiritual and it is clearly intelligible. Okay, well, a few more things and then let's pray. A, a few practical steps of application for all of us. Um, will you please pray for our worship? Will you please which in a very real sense, you're praying for yourself. Will you pray for this moment such that we would come together and it truly would be simple, but it would be truly spiritual, that we would encounter God here and that it would be intelligible such, such that our whole, our, our, our whole persons are filled with God and so are others, so are others. Because here, here is ground zero for where things change. In worship. So will you please pray for our worship? Will you pray for our search for worship um, director or minister? Um, number two, will you please consider getting here 10 minutes earlier than you normally do, whenever that is, and spend, to talk to whoever you want, but spend five to 10 minutes before church in your chair, just quietly contemplating God and preparing yourself for worship. Will you, will you consider doing that? And then lastly, lastly, will you, will you please set it in your heart to come here and simply enjoy your Father? Simply enjoy Him. Um, that's, that's what the Father wants. When we, when we come together in spirit and in truth, spirit and truth work together such that what that does is it, it creates in us a gladness of heart and a gratitude that spills out in joy. And it is that joy that is the thing in your life that will most greatly glorify God. Is that joy. So will you set it in your heart that when you come here on Sunday, it is a joy hunt. It is a joy hunt by means of the Spirit and truth, worshiping Him spiritually in the gospel. Will you please come with that intention? Because as, as we, we glorify Him most, when we are most joyful in Him, Him who gave us His Son for our sins, raised Him up from the dead, and united us to Him by the Spirit, and who now lives for us, and who is raised and reigns for us. Him we worship, and we worship Him by enjoying Him. And by that enjoyment, He is most glorified. Let's pray. Indeed, our Father, you are deserving of all of our joy, all of our glory, all of our praise. For you have loved us so in your Son. So we say thank you. We pray that our Sundays here would be a, an aromatic sacrifice wafting up to you as the incense of our joy is lifted up into the heavenly places. We pray that this time, Sunday after Sunday, would be a place of your pleasure and our pleasure in you. So will you please do this? Will you please make it this way? Thank you. Thank you that you are the God who is there. 
Thank you for you. Amen.